Hey everybody, welcome to this Ocean Life podcast. It's great having you. I am your host, Josh Peterson, and i uh, got to say how stoked and thrilled I am today to be sharing more Molokai Tuwahu stories with you all. Um, as we have you know, some regular podcast episodes with a lot of strong people in the water, um, many folks have done M2O. And what we've done here is put together a second compilation of stories um, from M2O. And it spans multiple years, different um, SUP and prone and people who've done it solo and relay and all kinds of fun stuff. So we've got a great collection of folks today. We've got Jen Lee, Josh Riccio, Mike Dillery, Alice Henley, and we've got Jerry Lopez as well. So to start with Jen Lee. Now Jen is special just like everybody in her own way. And she's done the Kaivi channel on three different craft last year in 2018. She's done it on an OC1, I'm sorry, outrigger canoe, sorry, um, surf ski, and SUP. So what Jen takes us through to start is her um, time on the SUP during Molokai to Wahoo in 2018, whereas we you know, know the conditions weren't optimal, let's say. They were downright horrible for most folks. And so Jen will take us through how she deals with that sort of mental fatigue that's very common to folks um, who go through the channel, right? What her tactics are for combating that mental fatigue, that dark place, and getting through it and coming out on the other side. So thanks for being here, you all. Really stoked to share these stories with you. Hope you like them. And now let's start off the M2O stories with Jen Lee. I love SUP because you're surfing. Yeah. I did not love SUP this year. <laughs> SUP this right. year. It was a different that story. That crossing was, um, yeah, yeah, it was the worst. Even um, a paddler who had done it one year in a race outside of the M2O series of races, mm -hmm. who had done by far the gnarliest channel that I had known anybody on SUP had ever done. Yeah. Um, he was like, no, this one was worse. No way. Because it, yeah, it was because on a sup, and, you know, there are some people that were like, oh, we should have just all been on more stable boards. I don't really think that would have made much of a difference. Mm -hmm. Just because you're, with that extra width and flat bottom of friction, Yeah. you couldn't quite get onto the bump because you've got 17, 16, 17 feet of, sort of flat bottom or even concave for some people, that suction that you have to push onto the bump. I think that's why you had your shorter, stronger athletes won this year. Yeah. Like hmm. Travis and Shereen, they're both amazingly strong, not super long levers, and they can read the water great, but they have a lot of power yeah. body-wise. Interesting. Um, and leg strength. I mean, if... You, I'm, I wish I could be a fly on the wall with their strength training program. They probably push <laughs> a lot of weight in the weight room. But yeah. um, I, uh, you know, for not being really able to have that much, that was probably worst case scenario for me because you're further from the water, so you do have to pull harder. And then you got to stay on your feet. But if you don't catch that bump, you know, like any craft, speed is stability. So oh, yeah. if you don't catch that bump and then you have all that suction because it was sucking. Aren't running north. Yeah. That it was white tapping 
more than I've ever seen ever having been out on the water. Right. So you'd like not catch the bump and then get smacked in the side of the board with a white cap. Oh yeah. I had like times where I would like touch my toes and spin. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. And my boat helper for all three crossings was like, Oh my gosh, we're in serious trouble here. And I was like, no, because watch all the other boats. They're not moving yeah, either. Yeah, that's right. Everybody's having the same problem. Yeah. You guys just have to stop freaking out and let me work through this. <laughs> um, but it, it was challenging. Time, that wasn't a great scenario for me. Yeah, yeah no, that's the, cool. The two weeks prior, I did better, but yeah, um, well, I've but talked to you. Finishing it was very hard. No, I mean that's and that's I mean so awesome you did, and I've I've sure I've heard, I spoke to I don't know four or five different athletes from M two O this year, and I've I've done it twice in the last maybe eight years and i felt sorry for myself until this year <laughs> listened to all the stories <laughs> of everybody so I, I get that but one, one really neat thing um about when, when i speak here in the podcast with folks like you who are, you know are i label as endurance athletes among many other types of athlete um is that that the mental wall that ye, some of us i maybe most of us hit um, when the, the going gets tough, when you're tired, when you're falling, when that white water hits your board and throws you off and you can't see it coming or you tip off your ski and you got to get back on, sort of that, the mental challenge part. So for you just in general, you you have a great training regimen. I've checked out some of your stuff on Instagram and, and you have that part down. What about the mental aspect of this, of that kind of going in that dark place or keeping your mind from going in that dark place when you're, I don't know, at mile 20 and you just wish you're back on the beach and never seen it, ever picked up the sport of <laughs> SCP or something. Um, Talk about that. I, well, for me, it's faith in God. Um, hmm. I hope it's okay that I say that here. Please. but of course. Uh, I, yeah, I just, you know, believed that I got that I had help out there cool. um, and every time it gets tough for some reason I always see an animal and really? I'm like okay I'm not alone here <sighs> it's just yeah and then uh, that's cool yeah so that's a huge huge factor I I told my helper and people might think I'm crazy but I was like God just kept sending me birds yeah because I rescue birds birds make me happy um, and so that, that really helped the, the sub crossing. I had a really tough mental wall just because falling is frustrating and I love dugout boards. Like I love dugout boards, Yeah. but getting back in those oh, time man. after time yeah. is challenging. I actually hit my knee on the rudder really early on in the race. So my knees both were swelling. I, Oh, I wow. like planted my paddle and somehow slipped and just knee planted right on the metal rudder piece. And our metal, oh, our rudders gnarly. are made for really tough paddlers. So they're kind of, um, it wasn't such a good soft landing. It was a big metal piece right in my kneecap wow. and that affected my balance. And so just like knowing that I couldn't quit and having to, just deal with the frustration of getting back on, but I use music a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I put really positive music on my, on my, whatever. And, 
Um, I just actually, the hard part for me was my escort boat was freaking out. <laughs> and I was like, you guys are going to have to calm down and shut up. Yeah. They're supposed to be taking care of you. And then here you are taking care of them, getting them in the right place of frame of mind. <laughs> and my driver's been with me for years and years. Who's done my sub crossings. And he's like, Jen just shushed me. <laughs> he better be quiet because he knows I never would. I love that guy. And uh, and so they they were taking care of me too, but it was just like, like we have to settle down and you guys are just going to have to watch me go through this and it's, it's going to suck. Yeah. And we're just, I yeah. don't want to be here right now. I yep. think there was that feeling. A lot of times I like to be out in the channel, but that particular time I was like, it just keeps getting worse and worse and yep, worse and yep. I can't fix it. It was like being in like getting a root canal. At one point. <laughs> <laughs> you were just, you were just looking for the next bird to cross your path to just get you another 20 minutes and then hope to see another bird. You're just focusing on your, your signs from above. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I was so happy when we got to the flatter water at Portlock. I didn't even oh. care about the headwind. I was just oh, like, yeah. I paddled up next to Army Armstrong on the foil, who yeah. was not up on the foil. He, The board was in the water. Just right. like, okay, we're here. We got this. Got it. Yeah. And that's <laughs> and a good finished. feeling. But, um, that's a good I, feeling. Cro around in the point, knowing that you're there, you know, it's like, <laughs> so feels so good. It's funny. People hate that stretch of water. I love that stretch. Yeah, I know. The strangest thing. I, I love going upwind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm weird. So um, you um, finish the yeah. race and you're so stoked, but you've also, you it's like a two for one for you. Not only did you finish the gnarliest crossing that you've done or probably for most folks, that was also your third. You did it. You did all three craft. And so when you got to the finish line, I mean, did you also feel? All right. Now I've got a, one of my own personal friends here in Santa Cruz, Mike Dillery, who I've been paddling with uh, consistently for almost 10 years now. Uh, Mike's done some legendary things here, like paddling 55 miles across the Monterey Bay and back with no support boat. Um, pretty early stuff. Now, if for Molokai to Wahoo, Mike gives us a pretty good perspective on the application of sunscreen or lack thereof, if you know what I mean. My target, Getting you know, I it. want to get that. Yeah. So Molokai. So um, if I'm right, didn't you do that race and not put sunscreen on your back? <laughs> oh <laughs> man! Right? Did I show you that picture? No, I, you just told me. I think. Oh I, man! I, I, yeah, how I was, did. How Holy was that cow. crispy back? Oh, what was man. that like, that, man? That was after such that a race. I was so nervous in the morning. Like, there's all the logistics stuff. Oh, like, yeah, it's, it's just insane. there's so much. There's so yes. much to think about, right? And I woke up in the morning and, and I actually remember like putting lotion on other people, but I forgot about mine, you know, and, and I had the, the tank top. Oh yeah, on just, and, absolutely. Oh man, I got to the end. I didn't even think about it. And I, after the end, like someone looked at me and they went, whoa, man, you don't look too good on your back. Really? And it, it peeled off like newspaper. I had never had a Full burn like that. Full sheets of oh, skin man. coming off. And I take the sun good, right? Like <laughs> yeah. I take it pretty good. You do tan oh, well. Oh man, and that just... Oh, that's burly. It was ugly. In <laughs> fact, the... I'll, I'll dig that picture up. <laughs> I want to see it. Yeah, Let's, we'll, put it on a, we'll put a link to it on, on the podcast. <laughs> Did your feet get burned too on the bottoms? Uh, the I back of my that. legs got yeah, it pretty good. Better. You know what? I think I may have put lotion on the back of my legs. I think I saved those. But uh, yeah, they got, they got burnt, yeah. but not too bad. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, now we've got Alice Henley from Florida, who takes us through two years in a row of her paddling in Molokai to Oahu, the first year uh, in a relay, and talks about the challenges of not only competing on the water, but also the challenges of being on a boat in the channel for multiple hours at a time, right? Um, and then the next year she comes back and does it solo and talks about some of the challenges of the logistics we all know the boat support, uh, and all the other fun stuff that we encounter when we're in the Kaivi channel. So let's take a listen to Alice Henley. Say that's three times the distance. Um, yeah, distance is one thing, but also it's Hawaii, man. It's different water and everything. So how did you first make the decision to go to go do that, Molokai to Oahu, and when was that? Uh, so I kind of put it out there that it was something that I wanted to do and I had started making uh, friends and connections in the uh, distance paddling world and uh, one of my idols and I'm sure you know uh, Cynthia Aguilar. Yeah, um, I'm sure. She um, was kind of a, a mentor to me in that field and um, I had mentioned to her, you know, something I wanted to do and it kind of came up sooner than I thought that um, the part, the relay partner she had had uh, was looking for a partner uh, not last year, uh, the year before that, so I guess 2017, and would I be interested? And I jumped on it. I said, absolutely. Um, and I really had no clue, like, what the format was. In my head, I thought it was like, okay, I do 16 miles, and he does 16 miles. Um, I didn't know it was like a back and forth. Like, we kind of didn't have a lot of communication uh, leading up to it in the summertime. So I was, in my head, I was like, all right, well, I need to at least be able to paddle 16. If I can paddle 16 miles, I've at least done half of it. And then, you know, I didn't know that I was broken up, you know, more or less like 30 minutes on, 30 minutes off. Um, but I, I was like overprepared for that, I guess you could say. Um, so that was my first jump into it. And then leading up to that to kind of prepare, I started doing races. I got, um, I drove up and did the Carolina Cup. Mm. And I was, that was like my first, uh, I don't know, big girl race, uh, where, you know, you're racing against like some of the Californians and, um, some real legit people. Yep. Got it. And so your first, so you did, it was 2017. Then you did M2O on a relay. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Got it. Okay. And then how did that go for you? So you, how did you guys alternate? Was it like 10 minutes or 20 minutes each? I mean, you're thinking I jump into 16, he does 16 and we're good, but Usually that's not how it how it goes. How did you guys sort of split up your time in the water, each of you? Yeah, so I was completely unfamiliar with the format, but um, the idea is to keep everything fast. So if you're doing 16 miles, you're probably not going to be doing your fastest splits. So more or less, we start out with, um, I might have done a little more to start with. He let me start and finish, which was really special uh, because he had done it so many times. He kind of let me have the, uh, the memorable pieces, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I did the start, maybe I did like closer to 40 or 45 minutes. Uh, I can't really remember exactly. And then for the bulk of it in the middle, you're doing 30 minutes on, 30 minutes mm. off. And then maybe towards the end, you start shortening up to, down to 20 and then maybe even like 10 minute pieces. Um, and that was the really uh, special part where I found out that I get very, very seasick. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that was, um, I, I think that... Um, most people anticipate uh, being sick on the boat. I was very uh, lucky or unlucky, whatever you want to call it. I found out I get really sick on the board, uh, not the really? boat. So, yeah, I think the problem is that I'm actually mostly a knee paddler. And it was so 
I was just so unused to the massive swell and the runs and uh, being on a different board. I started laying down a lot. And when I started laying down, I really was in a world of trouble. Um, I did bring Dramamine, but I think by the time I kind of realized what was going on, it was way too late. So it was, um, I think I might've said three words the entire time we were crossing. <laughs> And I think he thought that I was really like super focused. Um, he told me afterwards, he was like, oh, I've never met anyone so serious. And I was like, I was trying really hard not to throw up. Like, yeah. I didn't oh. say a word the entire time. And then the second we turned into the bay, I was like, oh, okay, I'm good. I just yep. like, well, did me in. But um, yeah, so that was quite a learning experience. Yeah, that's heavy. I mean, I give you a lot of props for sticking with that i mean being seasick absolutely sucks it makes the biggest strongest most badass person become just a feeble curled up in a ball like you know per, you know it's and i've been that way many times but you fought it i mean and still paddled carried through so i mean what were you so answer me this so of a let's call it six-ish hours let's pretend um how far in how many of those hours were you seasick would you say during the during the event so I would say like maybe after about like three or three and a half hours, I started to feel, I would just say weird. Yeah. That it was like, sometimes I've felt that way, even just running or something. If I take too much caffeine and, or like an energy drink or, you know, just adrenaline and nerves, like sometimes yeah. I have a bad race stomach from the combination of eating like the sugary, you know, energy kind of stuff that you typically use yep. for races. So I attributed it to that at first, and then it started to dawn on me what was going on uh, when I was uh, jumping back on the board every time, and I would start to feel it. I was like, oh, you're getting really sick. Oh. And I, on my, you know, my off times when I was on the boat, I had my bag, you know, with like sunscreen, water, you know, every food, every, you know, supply imaginable. And it was in a little, not like a full cabin, but like a little step down part of the boat. Yeah. And, uh, it had windows in it. And I remember looking at it and thinking like, you really need to put on sunscreen. You're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Maybe you should drink <laughs> some water. And I knew if I stuck my head in there and saw the water sliding, oh, yeah. everyone who knows anything about being out in the water, if you're seasick, the last thing you should ever do is go like in somewhere enclosed. Definitely. Um, so I just sat there and um, I think I, I kept on the top of my bag. I had like a bunch of peppermints, which are kind of like a natural uh, remedy for seasickness. And I don't, I don't think I drank any water. Yep. I didn't put any sunscreen. I probably had third degree burns when I finished. Oh, that's um, brutal. <laughs> but I, uh, I was like, well, at least this way, I think I just dry heaved the entire time because I, ha I had nothing to, oh. to stick. So that is how I survived. Yeah, so I'd say from hour three till uh whenever we finish seven eight hours i don't remember exactly um yeah it, it was a long right. time <laughs> long time oh man well that, that's an, that's amazing that's a story i haven't heard actually i mean a lot of other people talk about various challenges they've had injuries and just mental challenges and boards you know all kinds of stuff but man i i'm just give you so much props for sticking with that because i know like I can't even like move. Like you're sit, you're you mentioned you're sitting on the boat. You look down. You're like, I need some sunscreen. It's right there. But not only do you not want to duck your head in that cabin because you know you're gonna get sick. But for me, like my body, like it doesn't even want to move. 
move. You know, it's like all energy gone. And so you sit there and just get like blasted with the sun or whatever, because you just don't even really want to move either. So, <laughs> but you got through it. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I was fortunate in that at that point um, in my athletic career, so to speak, I, I had done some ultra marathons and longer stuff. And I am familiar with the place of uh, being sick and just, you know, feeling that I think anyone knows, like, uh, especially if you've ever had like a really long night of drinking, that feeling where you're like, I wish I would throw up. Like I would feel that. Um, Just, but staying in that place for hours and hours. I was familiar (laughs) with that though, from doing the ultra runs where I was just nauseous for, I don't know, five, six, seven hours. And just kind of, you get to a place of acceptance and you know what you need to do and that it will end eventually. But I also kind of recognize the signs of shutting down. I, I remember people were talking about overheating and I'm sitting there, I'm shivering, I'm cold because I'm not taking in any calories. Um, I just have the wind on me. I know I'm getting sunburned. I'm in and out of the water. So I, I kind of knew that I was like shutting down, but it almost, you get to a, a point of autopilot. You just yeah. get up or just do, this is the thing you know how to do. Just keep moving your arms. That's it. Yeah. No, I, I like that perspective and that's a neat one. I, I'm kind of writing that down the place of acceptance, which is really true. And, and, and I, I really think that, yeah, some people I think are just naturally wired, um, for like genetically to just come to that kind of realization with challenging things like that. But I think for myself and many others, you get to that point from doing this stuff. And as you mentioned, doing this endurance running where, you know, it's, it's tiring and it's uncomfortable. You just accept it. You're like, look, just keep running or just keep paddling. You know, you're going to get there. Now it's not going to be in five minutes because you could look across the channel and, you know, you got some hours ahead of you, but you know, for a fact, there is an end at, you know, there's a light, this very gross tunnel, you know, and that place of acceptance kind of when you get to that point when you're like, Hey, you know what, this is happening. Let's just go and do it. You do actually kind of, you know, you, you calm down a little bit and you just accept your suffering and fate, but you, you can end up, you just kind of put your mind in a better spot, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also why it's so important to go out and do those training runs, training paddles where everything goes to crap, uh, where you do feel bad and you're like, I hate this. I don't want to yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, and but you know from like all those terrible experiences when it when it happens in a race you know you can get through it whereas if you've kept yourself in a comfortable place and you know it hits the fan so to speak i think you're going to have a lot harder time um because you don't know what's on the other side of that whereas when you've experienced it in practice you know that you'll pull through yeah oh i'm a huge fan of that i really am and i like that for two aspects one is like um just like fishing and stuff I've got a, you know when i had a boat for a long time i would just take it out when the, it was just really crappy out there's nothing to do you can't fish you shouldn't really even be out but when you kind of it's like that the, the more you sweat in peace the less you bleed in war and so you're, when you're going out and doing this stuff on your own terms and it turns gnarly you can kind of ease yourself into it feel it and then you get develop that confidence so when that intense moment hits you you're able to deal with it. And then paddling as well, like going out doing a paddle. There's nobody even on the beach. There's nobody even walking on the cliffs because it's so crappy out. But you go feel the water. You know you can get through it. You know how to deal with how, what you can deal with on your knees, when you need to jump back down, down you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm a huge fan. Now, uh, you that was 2017. 
your first taste of the channel. And then last year in 2018, you went back. And so did you do another relay or did you go solo last year? So I went uh, solo. The The whole reason that I uh, did the relay was just to kind of get my foot in the door. And also I am, people told me uh, that you should do relay first. And I'm sure if I could have gone solo first, I would have, but they were absolutely right in saying that you need that learning experience. Not just for the the obvious, the the physical and the paddle, but to the extent of anyone who's done Molokai, and it's been a theme on many of the podcasts, knows it's, it is an ordeal. The logistics are nightmarish at best, and the learning curve on that is so tough, and you need to go over there, make the connections, figure out the lay of the land and your logistics, and getting a practice run at that on a relay team with someone who is an Aussie and had done it a bunch of times was just absolutely invaluable. Um, yeah. So then I felt a little more prepared to tackle uh, solo um, the following year, this last summer. Right on. So t- take us through that because 2018 was kind of a screwed up course from the perspective of many people, uh, early timers, but also people who've been doing it for 20 years. How challenged? Describe how challenging those conditions were with the current doing some weird stuff. And so, how did it go for you? I mean, your first solo—it's your longest paddle, I believe you have ever done to date. Um, and the conditions were pr- not favorable. <laughs> so take us through that. So leading up to it, um, I had been over the summer, you know, I had been putting in my hours and my long distance paddles and I had um, going into Molokai, but I, you know, I called all my, all my people and, you know, got all the pep talks that I needed to get. And uh, I just kind of was like, you know, I've done everything that I can do and we don't have the same water here. We don't have great, you know, downwind water. Typically Um, we don't have, you just don't have that big ocean feel because nothing off of Florida is really that deep. So you don't Mm -hmm. get massive swells. So I knew I had paddled in just a lot of crap conditions and that was what my confidence was going to have to come from. Um, So going into Molokai, I had uh, an ocean rescue friend set up a boat for me and I was pretty happy about that because I know in the relay experience the year prior, we probably went through like, I don't even know, like four or five boat captains, like the week of, yeah, uh, which is typical when you start like talking to people with Molokai, like that's that's part of it. And I, I knew to expect it this time. Um, and of course, when I got there, as soon as I landed, I had a voicemail like, hey, your boat fell through. So I'm like, OK, well, that's oh, not I'll have a week to deal with this. Uh, whereas like last year, it was like the the day before our boat still wasn't over there. We're like, oh, I wonder if he's going to show up, you know, <laughs> yep. uh, which is classic Molokai. Now that I, I know that's how that goes. So I. I kind of got another last minute boat person, but I had lost my swimmer. So I kind of put out uh, a bolo on the East Coast if anyone knew anyone over there or um, had any connections. And then I talked to my boat guy and I just was like, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, I'll throw some money at somebody if they want to just, you know, all they got to do is, you know, jump in, switch out water bottles, you know, bring a pair of fins. But I would just kind of banking on the fact that, I mean, this was a Hawaiian and they know that that water and I, I said he found someone for me so um you know I'm pretty like low maintenance with like as far as like nutrition stuff goes um I was actually more concerned about being seasick like I brought a ton of meds and just more heavy duty stuff um so I, that was like my main concern I'm like I could really care less what you put in my water bottles or yeah. anything like that um I'm like pretty versatile with that stuff uh 
so I was more concerned with that. And then, um, going over this time, I went like a day earlier since I was doing solo. I kind of figured I needed an extra day to kind of decompress. Um, I think everyone who does that race will tell you, like, you really, like, by the time you get to it, you're just so <laughs> yeah. spent on all the logistics and stuff. Um, so kind of right off the bat, I knew that things were not going well with like my boat captain. And I like didn't really have um, good communication and um, long story short, like the morning of the race, I'm kind of waiting for him to show up so I can paddle out my gear. Not, not really on time. Um, and I paddle out my stuff. You know, this is probably like T minus 15 minutes to start 20 minutes. Yeah. Says to me, Hey, listen, um, it's really rough. We're not going to put a swimmer in the water for you. And I'm like, oh. I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and, you know, you're on a rock in the middle of the Pacific. You're not fine. You're not going to run up there and go grab a friend. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's right. It's done. And I just was like, I looked at him. I'm like, all right, so what are we going to do? And he's like, oh, we'll just throw the water bottles to you. But I'm like recalling, like, I have been in this channel once before and I'm like, yeah, it's not really like, you know, there's 12 foot swells. Like, uh, if I miss that water bottle, I'm not paddling back for it. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> and also, you don't, you don't want to be anywhere near that boat, like in that, those kind of seas. Like, you're going to wreck your board or the boat or both, you know? Yeah. I just right off the bat, I was like, well, great. Okay. Uh, I also had had to back up a little bit. Um, so on my flight over from Oahu to Molokai, I had like a little bag of all my electronics, like my Garmin charger, um, my iPod, uh, phone charger, a bunch of stuff like that. And I guess it fell out. I'm not sure on which end of Oahu or Molokai. I tried calling all the airports and stuff, oh, but yeah. I had a phone charge and I'm trying to call my mom back on Oahu and get her to see if she can get stuff and get it to someone who still has a flight over, like, and I just kind of, that was another point of acceptance, I'm like, okay, I know you banked on having your iPod, but you're yeah. now going to be stuck with your own, I think that was probably one of the most devastating blows, uh, I could cared uh, less if I had water the whole way, I just wanted yeah. my iPod. Oh, 100%, I had a similar thing when I did it years ago, was my iPod blew, like, broke, and I couldn't get to charge on Oahu, and I'm like, are you kidding me, like, I'm music to just get me through these things and i was like oh i'll just you know enjoy the sound of paddling and like oh it was, it's so brutal when you're used to music and you don't have it oh yeah so that was like probably the more devastating factor so like right off the bat i knew i had a bunch of like strikes against me um mentally. But again, oh, i was just like okay like you've had this you i just started drawing back on all the the crap times and races i'm like you've done an iron man and you couldn't have your ipod so you'll be fine um, you know, and then, uh, so then when the, the boat says they're not going to put a swimmer in, I'm like, all right, great. Uh, so I went back <laughs> on land before the start and I duct taped everything that I thought I might need it in case I was like completely alone. <laughs> um, and yeah, so right, right off the bat, it was not going well. Um, went out with like, um, one of the other female paddlers that I usually compete with and try to kind of follow her and follow the line and just right away I was just getting frustrated like I was getting zero feedback on like my navigation which was like the main thing for me in having a boat like I really don't need a lot in terms of like 
like I said, like the nutrition and stuff, I, I just needed that line and I just yeah. wasn't getting it. And that's the big problem with not having a swimmer. Um, you're not getting that feedback. And anyone who's done that race for knows that small mistakes when you're 30 miles out accumulate oh, yeah. in a very big way. Yeah. So long, very miserable story short, I was way, way <laughs> off track, um, overshot had to paddle back against it um uh, where did you, did, were you angling more towards like hanama bay that side or more towards like you know uh diamond head that way uh hanamu bay i was yeah. like overshot almost yeah. around to the next corner like so they wanted to i think they wanted to pull me out um probably when i was like i don't know i want to say like maybe like six miles off or something like that somewhere between four and six i kept seeing the boat circling like nearby and i knew I knew they were going to come over and say something. And I was like fully prepared. I'm like, you can take this board. I'm going to swim in. I can see land. I'm going to paddle until it's dark. I don't yeah. care. Um, Cause I yeah. was just so irritated at that point that I had received like no guidance. For oh, my boat. Wow. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was not a good situation. I mean, I, there were definitely points where I'm, I'm starting to kind of think like, okay, the tracker is not on me. It's on my boat. So if they completely lose me, you know what I mean? Like no one can yeah. find you, you know? And I just, I was mad at myself for a lot of reasons too, in not taking responsibility for like, you know, having like my own GPS or like knowing the line better. But again, that's like, that's what you pay for a boat for. Right. Right. Um, right. And you know, you're, if you're not from there and you haven't done the race a bunch of times, like maybe yeah. now yeah. that I've done it twice, I might start, start to recognize some of the landmarks, but being a novice still, like, you really don't yeah, you have, have no idea um so i was just frustrated and when the when the support boat came up on me and like suggested that i perhaps take a tow in um i which i was like yeah i'm not i'm not doing that um <laughs> i i think the thing is they kind of uh, cut me some slack in that when they came up on me i think they expected to find someone with like their head down on the board just kind right. of done and i was fighting i was fighting with everything i had against the current at this point because they had let me overshoot the right. line yeah um, so i just had one arm doing a lot of the work oh. um so i mean it was it was frustrating but at the same time i was so relieved to get in the bay and like have land that close that i don't think the full gravity of how badly it was botched really sank in wow. um, the nightmare kind of like continued after that with like the boat captain and like the getting the board back and so it was pretty much like a nightmare scenario of like, can this go any worse? And then yes, it can. Um, so it, I definitely am still not even fully recovered from like, just mentally what that does <laughs> having such a botched race. Um, yeah, it, it was a learning experience on so many levels. Wow. I'm like, uh, sick to my stomach hearing that because <laughs> I feel for you so bad. I mean, just if everything with the boat, your iPod, everything went well, just the conditions of that race, the ocean itself is enough to like break people down. But you started like from, from freaking the start, you had a challenge, no music and your boat guys flaky and then no swimmer. And then, and then the conditions on top, which were insane and, and make taking that line and being too far. I don't know if that, what is that East? I don't even know, but towards Sonoma Bay, that side, and all of a sudden, especially with the tracker on GPS and you're watching your speed, I know, uh, you're like oh i'm doing whatever let's say five knots or something and all of a sudden you're like i'm doing two <laughs> what 
what, you know, cause that current and everything. And then, I mean, then you're suffering through that. And then, yeah, at the end you're like, okay, now I gotta get, get my board somewhere and I gotta pay the boat guy and blah, blah, blah. Like that's, well, you got through it and you're better off and you're stronger because of it. Let me ask you two questions. One is, will you go do it again? Do you think? Oh, so that's been like the question of the year <laughs> starting from right after. <laughs> I had a lot of people rally around me and uh, kind of tell me that basically a lot of the stuff that went down with the boat was not right. Um, it, I'm kind of cutting out a lot of the yep. political aspects of it. Um, it was it was a nightmare that followed me all the way home, basically, um, just financially and everything. Um, I I would like to do it again, and I definitely I wanted. I was so upset that honestly, I would have paddled it the next day. I would have paddled it in the reverse direction because I just knew I had put in too much time for it to have gone like that. And I'll be the first one to say I, I wasn't going to podium. I wasn't going to win that race, but it shouldn't have happened the way that it did, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I shouldn't have yep. been out there in the water that long. I shouldn't have ended up where I did. Yeah. Um, it was just not, not good on so many levels. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to, I think I'm, it might be challenging to pull off this summer. I think I'm still, I know, uh, it, the opening's probably, the registration's probably coming up soon. And, um, I'm kind of, I keep trying to push it out of my mind because I don't want to make that choice, but I definitely, I want to go back and get it right. Uh, yeah. Be at peace. All right. Now we've got Josh Riccio. Now Josh finished first in the men's SUP stock class, both. 2017 and 2018, right? And he takes us now through uh, what it's like to challenge the top of the pack like he did, as well as the training regiments that he goes through. A lot of great perspective from a super strong young dude. Let's check it out. Um, for that 14 miler. And then once, once I get past that uh, race in North Carolina, then the focus really goes uh, towards downwinding and just, you know, doing a bunch of bunch of downwind runs on Maui, bunch yeah. of Moleco runs and long distance paddling in preparation for the uh Molokai to Oahu. Right, right. Now will you Yeah. As you prep for for Molokai, will you go beyond the thirty two, you know, miles at the races and like or do you kind of pinnacle kind of like a peak out at the day of M two O when you hit that thirty two mark? Or are you already pushing past that well before? Yeah, I, I um, actually pretty much just usually I use the Malika run on mm -hmm. Maui. I'm not sure how familiar you yep. are with that, or maybe some of the listeners, but uh, are but that you know it's a really good 10 mile downwind run that we have on Maui. Um, so usually that's kind of what I use as my gym for pre uh, preparing me for Molokai to Oahu. I try wow. to do. I don't know, maybe four or five trips over there a week, you know, and some, some days I'm trying to, I'm squeezing in doubles. Right. Usually I'll, I'll do downwinding over there and then during the day and then on the afternoon, I finish it up with canoe practice, outrigger canoe practice. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, back on the West side of Maui. So it's, it's, it, it, you start to get kind of used to that distance, that 20, yep. I'm usually training 20 miles, 25 miles every day, every other day, some, you know, just listening to the body. If I feel good, I'm going farther. If I, you know, I'm super taxed and right. sore and tired and scale it back that day. But, um, 
but usually it's it's around that you know 20 20 mile mark 25 when i do the canoe practice by the end of the day and it's just pretty no pacing I would yeah say. there's there's no pacing when i'm doing that i'm training physically for that 32 miles and right. also kind of mentally as well just getting getting used to that torture and right. kind of testing the body <laughs> Yeah. yeah. It, <laughs> well, it looks like it paid off. a little harsh right now, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I mean, I, look, I mean, it looks like you got the right formula because you won uh, the SUP stock class two years in a row, last year in 17 and this year in 18, man. So another congrats on that. So it sounds like your, your training regiment and ethic, work ethic there is paying off. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's um, I mean, when I got into the sport, that channel was – was kind of like the Everest of, 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 of paddles. And, and to me, it was something I never knew I was going to be capable of doing yeah. solo. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of grown on me and it's really influenced who I am as a person and a paddler. Yeah. It's what I, it's the biggest goal I set out for myself every year that I want to achieve. And, really? and um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a super, to cross the lines first in the sub stock class, you know, last year and this year, yeah, especially this year. Um, right, grueling I, I, conditions. I, had, I was kind of watching. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty tough conditions, and I was I was you know chasing chasing the leader, you know, all the way across the channel until about mile twenty six or something. Wow, it just kind of that 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 little second wind of mental strength kicked in right when physically everyone else was draining and right wow yeah just was able to push through and claim it so rad man that's so cool so what you see so you said that's that's the sort of pinnacle of your year is is m2o so what is about that race that really gets you you know coming back year after year is it just like because it is kind of the everest of the sport you know or is it just the, com- the competitive like what about that that race is so special for you well it's it's kind of how it just initially was even like presented into my like or brought up and introduced to me. I, I got into stand up paddling after I joined the Outrigger Canoe Club out here in Maui. And so in the OC world, winning Molokai to Oahu is is the absolute uh, kind of pinnacle of, of of achievements as far as racing goes. So so coming from the Outrigger world, you know, it was it was just it had this so much kind of you know mystique and such a just such a legacy around that channel crossing that it was like it was definitely a challenge that I wanted to I wanted to test myself against and see you know the first time if I was capable of doing it if I was capable of crossing and yeah and I think anybody that does that channel is it's just always happy when they finish regardless <laughs> of where if you were first across the line or yeah. you were the last person <laughs> and to me i honestly think the the last person across the line deserves just as much praise as the winner because know. you know they the mental battles and physical battles they've gone through to get to that finish line are pretty impressive huh. i mean i look at the race time some some years and i see people finishing close to eight you know almost at that eight hour mark yeah. and i just i, I don't know I, i'm like i don't know how they do it i know but, yeah 100 um, percent. it is but, sketchy it's rad and that's what it's funny that's one of the themes i mean to think with talking with you I, I don't know i'm almost my 30th podcast and 
uh, so many folks who have done everybody who's been on the show and has done Molokai, this conversation always goes there and it's the same, man. It doesn't matter if it's somebody like you who's won it or somebody like me, I've done it twice and I was like late in the pack guy and that's cool. But it doesn't matter. Everybody shares that same, like, um, you know, just reverence for kind of just finishing <laughs> that, that race, you know, it's pretty fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I feel good anytime I, you know, I finish a race and I try hard, I push myself or maybe beat this guy that I've always been chasing, but there, it, it there's no sense of accomplishment from any other race that you get from crossing yeah. uh, Molokai to a walk. Right. It's definitely. Definitely a good feeling when you're finally done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so let me ask you. So you're 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 doing all these training runs on the Maliko Coast, and it's a legendary spot. Like, I mean, as like you said, folks who have done it know. Folks who maybe have heard about it. It's just a gorgeous a coastline. B the wind and and swell. It just lines up so killer. I mean, it's like it's just legendary. Um, so you you have this like you know like you said it's your your gym basically in your backyard it prepares you for Molokai, which of course is like, you know, not as lined up and not as perfect. Um, but after that, like, I'm like, okay, now we've got Jerry Lopez. Now Jerry takes us through his first Molokai to Oahu event. He did, uh, as a part of a relay team with a bunch of other legends, uh, Jerry shares kind of this perspective on taking the right line you know, across the channel and what it means to maybe not take the right line, right? Which this is one of the challenges of uh, doing the channel is which way are you going and what's the current doing, what's the tide doing, all those other factors. Uh, so Jerry takes us through that. Now we've got more stories around M2O from Jerry himself uh, on, a, on a separate podcast. I'm just playing like a couple minute segment here. And if you want to hear more um, from Jerry's past in the channel, go check it out. There's going to be a link in the show notes as well. Well, we should uh, sponsor that, and we should go do it. And I went, okay, on a paddleboard, it won't be so bad. And, you know, then we had, um, it was a team thing, so Sparky and I, and Edmund Pistana, who, you know, he and I go back to teenage years in Hawaii um, and all the early prone paddleboarding. He was the one who kind of kept it alive through the 70s and 80s when, um, you know, there was really low interest in it. And, and um, yeah, so he came on the boat with us just to kind of set the course and, and uh, help us through the thing because it was our first time. And he, he was a veteran of the channel. And right. So that was our first year, you know, that, that Rainbow... Um, sponsored the event and yeah. Sparky and I paddled as a team and you know of course we screwed up and right off the start we started taking the glides and went too far south and then oh. you know really had to fight to get back um, at the end there you know through right. really approaching Cocoa Head yeah and finally Sparky gave out you know and I think at one point I ended up on my for a long ways too. I just, you know, nachos too much on the beam and right. um, too much left side paddling. And then finally, you know, got in range and we finished it up and we actually paddled across the finish line together. And that was our first year. And then we came back the next year and we did it with Edmund 
on it. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. I hope all these stories have uh, kind of inspired you to get in the water, maybe even push yourself a little further than you thought you could go. Um, I'm going to put links to each of the podcasts, uh, the individual podcasts you heard today, so you can hear the full story and more detail from all these folks today um, and just dig in a little bit deeper. So thanks again for being here, and uh, we'll see you next time.